wise man said, don't ask me. All I know is you'll be sorry. Sorry when I'm dead, dead and gone. In a bitchin' place of glory. Holding a grudge can take a lifetime. And there's a lot that I got to say. I'll tell it to the world. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Too Much Information with Sean Arnold. My name is Sean Arnold. Very excited tonight because joining me is, dare I say, a legend in Atlanta radio. Formerly of Star 94 and B98.5 for a minute, and now a partner with LRK Media is Vicki Locke. Hey, Vicki. Hey, how are you? I don't know about that legend thing. Man, don't don't sell yourself short. We're going to talk about that. I, and it's funny I mentioned it because I just I think this is I'm on to I think this might be episode 10. I don't know that that's really a magic number, but it kind of is, right? 10. That's a good number. Yeah, that's great. Um I just taped last week with Steve Barnes from uh 99X days. And uh we talked a lot about obviously how everything's changed. Um Radio was such a formative thing for me when I was younger. Um, you know, I was a, ugh, I guess I was 14 or 15 when not, when Power 99 flipped over to, to 99X. And that was yeah. a, about the same time I was sort of finding myself musically, you know what I mean? And kind of just figuring out what the deal was with that. And right. it was just a huge, big deal for me. And what made it awesome was, you know, for me was the music was great, but you know, it was, the, there was content and it was local and it was, you know, I mean, it was fun. And I just feel like radio just completely abandoned that. It has changed a lot. It really has. I totally agree with you. I mean, and you guys it's just not the same, it's not the same anymore. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, I think that people, I think Atlanta's a city where I guess maybe people get it now, but you know, I, I say, you know, I don't, I, I actually didn't throw the word legend around, um, you know, jokingly. I mean, you, you guys were, I mean, it was what, 20, was it 20 years you guys were at Star 94? I think I was 12. Yeah, <laughs> so that's about right. <laughs> um, well, and I think, you know, because it's sort of an industry that can certainly, depending on how things go, be marked with a certain level of volatility. Um, it, it, right. I mean, just at the behest of PDs and corporate people in other cities deciding to do stuff. And, and that's just, again, I feel like in Atlanta, we were really blessed. I mean, you, you know, you guys were on the air for a long time. Um, you know, 99 X, you know, was, you know, had a pretty long run where they were very significant in their world, you know, even nationally. I mean, same thing with you guys. I mean, and nationally recognized, personalities that you got to know and were there no matter what it wasn't like you know and then after and that's what's funny like it was almost like dominoes you know when you guys started they started to make changes it feels like there's never been a ton of stuff I guess Bert has been pretty stable but um, his lineups changed but it's just weird I mean because it clearly worked right like it seemed to work I mean there's you know you guys killing it in the ratings and being on you know and everyone I, I just don't I, I mean think it's like a lot of companies when I, when I, I was at Star, it was more like a family because of the ownership. We were one of the few radio stations and we could kind of do what we wanted to do. And then 
the giants came in and kind of gobbled up all the radio stations. And well, I think they did it to make money. So the content isn't there as much anymore. Now you've got radio stations with your talent voicing sometimes two, three, five radio stations during their, they're being paid for it, but how can you really get invested with your audience when you're talking to so many different (laughs) markets? You know what I mean? That wasn't really, I never wanted to be syndicated because I always wanted to be able to talk to people in Atlanta and I didn't want to have to fake that I'm not in Atlanta to make people in Minneapolis or wherever happy because you wouldn't, if you're in Minneapolis, what do you care about somebody being in Atlanta? That's not going to be your radio station. I wouldn't think anyway. Well, sure. And, and no, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, well, with the (laughs) tech, yeah, no, you, the technology, I mean, and I guess because just in the face of technology, right. I mean, it's one thing that, you know, before when you kind of had, well, if I'm going to go, this is the only medium, but with, you know, the introduction, you know, the iPod and now phones and all this stuff, it's, I mean, people can effectively program their own radio station, right? If, if you're just talking about music, I mean, again, I'm, I'm looking, I'm a business person. So I look at this from a businessman's perspective or a business person's perspective. And it seems like the, the differentiator, right? Which is what everybody that has any kind of product is looking for is mm-hmm. that it's the content that you're doing in between anyone can play the song. I could put songs on, well, I couldn't cause I have licenses, but I could play songs on this and give it to people. But the, you know, the stuff you guys did, you know, the bits and the conversations and the community events and the charity work. And th- that's, that's what that's to me is how people take ownership. You know, it's like, why would you take any ownership of a thing that's just got somebody doing a 40, you know, a 30 second liner you know what I mean? And then playing seven songs in a row, that just doesn't have any, it, it's a bit soulless to me. <laughs> um, I think when I ask my nephews, my nieces and nephews, they don't ever listen to the radio. And that, at the end of my career, that was starting to be, they always felt bad. They say, Aunt Vicky, I'm sorry, but I just don't listen to the radio anymore. As exactly what you said, they could make their own mixes. They could listen to whatever they wanted. I, when I got them, a, a card so they could download music. It was like the greatest gift. I was the super ant for doing that. So <laughs> you're right. It it changed a lot in that respect. And so are people even, I don't even know if PDs or, or if, if radio stations are even thinking about that age group anymore. Yeah. It just seems strange. I mean, because everyone has the thing in their, you know what I mean? It's in your car, like it's in there, right? It's, if it, 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 The delivery system is baked, right? For everyone. You just have to give people something to want to turn it on. You know, I find myself listening to talk radio a lot now because I'm old. But, um, you know, <laughs> but, you know, that's why I listen to a lot of local talk because it's it's relatable to me. And I'm a sports nut. So, like, I listen to sports talk. But, you know, they're talking about places I know and people I know and something I might have been at this weekend and the Falcons and the, you know what I'm saying? And that's to me, that's the engaging part is. I think you and I both probably agree on that because. I remember um, thinking in the heyday that radio, what made us different from other mediums was you could get all the details in your morning paper. You could get the pictures on television, but the immediacy of an event happening 
at a certain moment, the only place you could get it was radio, the only place. And now I was actually in traffic during the bridge collapse, and I had had a horrible day, and traffic was bad. I didn't want to listen to talk radio, so I'm I'm trying to I'm tuning in to different stations. So this is after seven o'clock, where usually there aren't any bodies in FM stations, and no, there's nobody giving me the information. I know traffic's really bad, but I continue to listen to music. Not one voice told me what was going on. Now, had I gone to the news station, I would have had the information. But that used to be where the FM stations were just as responsible in getting that information to their listeners. I had to wait till I got home and see it on television before I even knew what was going on. Yeah, that's, that's sad to me. It is, and it's crazy to me, which actually reminds me of something I wanted to ask you about. Um so what did you get? I know everyone did it and I have a hard time remembering because that day was just crazy. But you mentioning that makes me think of 9-11. And I sort of feel like the entire radio community came like became almost a, a friend. You know what I mean? When people when no one knows what's going on and it's obviously just shocking and crazy. But, you know, everyone was on the air nonstop. It wasn't about the music. It was about the blood drives and the, you know what I mean? And all that. I mean, did you, did you guys, you guys, what did you guys do that day? I remember actually, I've wanted to write a book about this because I remember when it happened, I think that was the only time in my life I was really in shock when you kind of knew that it was a terrorist attack, but not quite sure. I remember we got off the air in the, um, off the morning show and we threw it to CNN and everyone at the station was just, I, I can't explain it. It was, it, we were there, but we weren't there. And then I went into the uh, conference room and we had a consultant there. And he started talking about what we needed to do to increase ratings or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I just had to stop because I just felt my body wasn't really my body. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. so difficult to describe how I felt that day. But I remember saying, and there was about six or seven people in the room, and I said, am I the only one that I just want to go home and be with my family and get on the phone and make sure my family's okay? And the consultant said, well, it's your dime. And Mark Canoff, who was wow. the general manager at the time, he stopped and he said, you're absolutely right. And he let everybody leave. Oh, really? And we were, Star 94 at the time was right by the Atlanta Financial Center that at uh, one point in time, people were saying that could be a target. Sure. So there was this mass exodus. And when we came on the air the next day, we took phone calls from people that were missing loved ones. We did not play a commercial for five hours. It was just, I have to give credit to Mark programming wise that just he thought we all needed to heal, to know what was going on, exactly what you said, to just be able to vent. To So we, we got people that were in New York saying, can you please help us this and that and on and on. And we just had this, uh, this big love fest, I guess, not only for New York, but obviously for people that uh, were at the Pentagon as well. And you're right. It was, what can we do 
what can we do to make this not necessarily right? We knew this, our nation, ourselves, we were never going to be the same again, but we all needed some kind of comfort. And if, if Steve and I and Tom and the rest of everybody on the show, if we just offered just a little bit of comfort to everybody that felt just like we did, just in shock, what has happened to our country, then it, it made us feel better. And you're right. We eventually got banners and we took them to all the cities in the metro area and let people sign them. And as soon as the airports reopened, we flew to New York and visited firefighters and police officers. And we went to ground zero and we just, and I'll never forget talking to firefighters that had not had a break yet. I mean, literally had not had a break yet. They said, what are you doing here from Atlanta? And I remember thinking, do you not know that the whole world is watching you? And they had no idea. They're like, really? Wow, that's so nice that you would come all the way here. It was just one of those things, not just for me, for all of us, a life-changing moment in our history and our lives, and especially in media. I think you're right. We kind of did all come together, even if it was just for a brief moment, (laughs) we did come together. (laughs) Well, but that to me, though, is sort of the special sauce, right? Like, that's what's surprising is that sort of, I mean, I don't want to say it's magic, but you're right. I mean, people need comfort. I mean, I was at my office and, you know, and and everyone was trying to figure out what was going on. And back then, you know, it was like the Internet was all jammed up because everybody was trying to, you know, get online. And that was, you know, I guess the Internet was still fairly young at that point. Um, And there was just a level of comfort. Now, you know, with my background, um, I had a lot of tie-ins with the crew over at, at 99 X and, you know, they did the same thing. They took calls, you know, they just, you know, were, it, it was no commercials, no music really either. Right. It was just like, right. Let's talk about, let's just talk about it. You know what I mean? Let's just put it out there. But then <clears throat> Steve and I talked about the other day was, you know, it's like the phones never stopped ringing all day long. Right. And that, but that's when, you know, the community and everyone just coming together and, and that's why I feel about radio. I mean, it's entertainment, but you know, there were elements of public service, there were elements and it's just, it's sad to me. And I guess because again, radio was such a important, it played such an important role in my young adulthood and my youth that it's a bit sad to, you know, to sort of see where that you don't get that many places anymore, if at all. I don't even know if anyone even really, you know, does that kind of stuff. It's just, it's strange. Holly um, was at CNN at the time and um, her perspective is really interesting. My wife, Um, I know, I know, you know, she's my wife, but just in case (laughs) someone listening doesn't know, uh, she had just done an overnight shift, like anchoring on headlines and was driving home uh, at nine o'clock in the morning or whatever, and her pager goes off. It's like turn around, you know, nine one one or whatever, and she goes back to CNN, and you know, just the belly of the beast. I mean, can you imagine what the newsroom was like at CNN? Um, oh yeah. You know, she tells some pretty wild stories, but um, but again, her big thing though, the difference was, and again, what I, why I feel like radio is so important is, is that 
they have to be dispassionate, right? She couldn't go. I mean, of course, everyone's trying to not be emotional about it because they might know people and just, but their job is to go, okay, we have to emotionally separate ourselves for this because we're, we're reporters, we're journalists, you know, we're whatever. And so that's great. You know, you can flip that on, but I feel like in times like that, people want to feel like they're, you know, other human beings, right? Like you want to get the informational stuff, like you're talking about reading the paper or flipping on the crawl on CNN, but it's different when people like you and Steve and Tom and, you know, people that really feel like they're attached to you and that you can share that, you know, you feel like you, it's almost like a big group hug over the air, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I think shows like, as I recall, I think after 9-11, Cheers had this, not Cheers, I'm sorry, Friends had this surge in the ratings. And I think, again, it was that comfort factor. Those those people on that show, even though it had been on for a while, I think it was just, okay, we all remember Friends and we I, we all grasped at different things for comfort, I think, during that time. Yeah, and I, think- and I know it changed me forever. I'm sure it did you and Holly as well. Yeah, and I think there's an urge for normalcy, right? And and that's where I mean, you know, again, what you guys did for a living. Exactly. I mean, yeah. You're in someone's life, you know, for some for fifteen to three hours and forty five minutes, however long someone's commute is <laughs> in Atlanta. <laughs> Every day. You know, I mean that's a it's a part of your routine, right? And and there's comfort in routine. I mean, I know and I think it's probably true for any tragic event. I mean, I know after my dad died, um, and I was in a terrible place. Like I was really ready for just something normal, you know, like just something familiar to just take, like, get me out of this for a minute, you know, even if it's a half hour or whatever, because I'm, I'm just out of gas, <laughs> you know? So I can totally relate. Was just yeah, I, and getting back to that being a, a part in time uh, uh, that we were all together was more of a, brother and sisterhood, more of a family. Fast forward, I remember when there, wasn't there a, a tornado downtown Atlanta? Yeah. Remember that? that? Absolutely. So I'm watching, I'm watching something in it. I think it was, there was a basketball game or something going on downtown. And it looked like that part of the ceiling was falling in or something. And Anyway, I called the station that I was working at saying, you've got to get this information out there. I think there's a tornado downtown. <laughs> and the PD was just like, no, we'll let the, we'll let the AM take care of it. Oh my and gosh. that was when I said, this isn't a job I want really anymore. If really you're going to just say we're going to pass. And that's the way I think it is now. Yeah, that's wild. So, let me, did you what? So, let me ask you this: Before, where were you before Star? I started at Power ninety nine. Oh, wow. I was with um, Rick Stacy yeah. and Steve. I was there for a couple of years, and then Steve left to go to Dallas, and then he came back to Star ninety four, and I left Power to go to star and then power very soon flip to you 99x killed it. you killed star by leaving <laughs> yeah, i killed it <laughs> or you killed uh which was, power a, great 99 it was a great station and leslie fram was she still she's a rock star oh she, my gosh yeah the best 
I love her so much. Um, and then did you get a sense for the enormity? I guess if that's the right word, like, I mean, did you, was there a point where you looked around and said, holy cow, this is kind of a big deal at star. (laughs) I, I just had fun. Really? I don't remember thinking it was a big deal. I just remember wanting to succeed, wanting to be number one, wanting to come up with creative ideas and, and great giveaways, and it just, it was a wonderful time in my life. It was great, and everybody was on the same page. We all wanted the same thing. Yeah, it's it's interesting. When when did Tommy, Tom Sullivan, um, come in with you guys? Was I'm he there from the jump? With Dave. Uh, he, he was working, like, the overnight shift, and then I can't remember at what point in time he came and started doing the crazy things on the show. So he went from overnight to being a part of the morning show, which was so wonderful because he's so talented and so funny and so perfect. Um, yeah, he's good stuff. Yeah. I can't, it's like hard to remember a time without him. Yeah. I just couldn't remember if it was like right early on or if it was, you guys were around a little while before he started. Um, it's kind of amazing though, how the chemistry I mean, I feel like that's such sort of the secret, like the 11 herbs and spices, you know, it's almost something you can't predict just whether or not when you get all these right. people together, is it going to actually work? I think you're right. Um, that's what you just you put people together and you hope it clicks. And sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. And in our case, it just did. Were there any things that really stood out to you over the years, like crazy Bits Crazy or, things that we did. Yeah, or like uh, I remember events. the Olympics. We, Steve and I loved, loved, loved Fourth of not Fourth. <laughs> we loved uh, April Fool's Day. Just loved it. Oh yeah. So we try to outdo ourselves every year. So I don't know if you remember because well you probably do. You're you're young, but we had Deion Sanders on the show after when he played uh, football, and he was on every Monday to talk about the game. He was great. He would always bring guests in. He would call his mom and have her on. And he was wonderful. Well, we decided that then he played baseball, as you know. Yep. Well, we asked Stan Caston if he would come on the show and for an April Fool's Day joke and say that I've got a major announcement. It's only going to be on Star 94 with Steve and Vicky. And you've got to tune in at a certain time. And his announcement was that Deion Sanders was going to be the very first three sport player and he was going to join the Hawks and Dion was on and Stan Caston was, I remember Stan being so nervous. Like I'm going to really piss people off. There's people in the front office are not going to like, they're like, no, it'll be great. And it was great. That was a great one. Then one year during right before the Olympics happened, we came up with this elaborate, elaborate skin. We even had Rob Stadler in on it, doing a newscast saying that, some of the infrastructure in Atlanta was not sound, so we were losing some major participants. Like, like Great Britain was now not going to participate. And all, you know, all these countries were deciding whether or not they were going to take part in the summer games in Atlanta. Well, what Steve and I didn't know was that Billy Payne was on the board uh, for the radio station with the owners. 
And so he called and said, you tell them to stop this nonsense right now. And we got a phone call saying, hey, stop with the joke. And we just thought, yeah, no, we're going to continue. <laughs> we, we ended up getting suspended for a day. Oh, my God. <laughs> Even though it, yeah, it made news, it made national news, I think. But, yeah, we kind of got in trouble for that. <laughs> we also got yelled at by the, it was before TMZ, so it was probably, what would it have been, the National Enquirer? We won uh, April Fool's. We said that O.J. Simpson was moving into some house off of West Paces that we found the number of the house, the realtor. I mean, we made it oh sound like he was ready to move in. And they flew a reporter here, and they tried to sue for, I don't know what they were suing for, saying that, you know, we told lies on the air. It's like, hey, it's April Fool's. So so those were some, some of the things that we did that were just fun. And, again, when I think back, we didn't have to worry about, okay, it's exactly 725. You've got to be into a break right now. I mean, we had the luxury of just kind of taking our time and, doing what we wanted to do. And it was a great time to be in radio. It, it's kind of funny. I mean, this is, I think this can tends to be true sometimes for life is that it, that the things that have a modicum of risk, granted they can fail the most miserably, but they can also be the most fantastic. Right. It's just that little element of risk, right? Like that, you know, and again, that to me, like, that's why, well, and it's funny that people get so bent out of shape because you see it now and it's almost like the theater of the absurd is the thing that people still, you know, it's like well, people, all these reality shows, it's just train wreck TV. Right? That's all they're and looking for is a train wreck. And I think was the original reality TV, it, only it was real. And then when radio wasn't allowed to do it anymore, it became television. Well, sure. You know, you'd have you have callers call in and with these outrageous stories and or things like that that were just so much fun. And and now actually after 30 years of getting up at 3 a.m. <laughs> I now in my business I no longer <laughs> I won't even have a meeting before 10. <laughs> yeah, that's cr- I don't know that people really appreciate and understand. I mean, I guess there are probably people that are with you the whole way, but I know that sort of marrying into the business, if you want to look at it that way, um, <laughs> yeah. that was really hard. I mean, you know, with Holly was doing mornings, I mean, it, you know, it's just, I mean, it, that's what she got up at 3.30. And um, it's just, it's almost a siege, right? Like it's, it's weird. Your body doesn't like it. Well, and the other thing too that I think don't think people understand is that they make the assumption that, oh, well, then they get off the air at nine or 10 and they, you know, you know, they go right, to, they, they go to the, they go to Nordstrom for a couple hours and then they go home and take a nap. <laughs> and, you know, they don't understand that there's still plenty of things to do, right. That, um, you have responsibilities right. that carry, you know, I can think of days where Holly do that and, you know, have a meeting after that and then have to go meet a client after that and then have a remote in the afternoon and, you know, then get asked to MC some charity thing at night. Exactly. And, you know, and then so she's, you, you go home, you grab a quick nap, which I was a great napper. I could fall asleep for 20 minutes and feel rejuvenated again. And then you're back out going downtown to do an event and you're ending up getting four hours of sleep. Yeah. And that's one so thing. That's just, 
that's one thing that I've really a respect about, you know, then there's lots of people. I mean, you're one of them. My wife is for sure. One of them, um, is that the other thing I think when, especially when you have this with radio, um, when you're super vested in the, you know, when it's the local, the local community is such a huge part of the show. If you, you know, if you want to think about it that way for all you guys, you know, that give your time to these amazing organizations, you know, whether it's emceeing things or, you know, or whatever, uh, again, like those are not, you know, I don't, again, I don't know if people think and understand that that's just most of the time that's you guys feeling, well, I don't know. I'm not gonna speak for you. I mean, Holly feels like she has a responsibility because of the fortune of where she is in her life. And she still feels that way, which is why she's constantly doing stuff. And I know you guys did I tons that of way stuff. Too. It's, it's important to give back. And I actually had consultants who would yell at me and say, why are you wasting your time? This is not generating money. This is not making the station money. And I'd say, but I don't, I'm doing it because I want to. And I feel like I, I have, I need to do this. I mean, I have a voice and I can help certain organizations and people ask me all the time, well, do you just work for any charity? And I'm sure just like you and like Holly, I have pretty much a personal story behind every charity I've ever put my heart and soul behind. I lost a cousin to a kidney disease. My father died of cancer. I've had my, my best friend died when she was 29 years old of ovarian cancer because the doctor said, oh, you can't. It, it can't be cancer. You're, you're too young. Ugh. And so I found it so important that I could use the radio station as a platform to, to get out this information for young women. It's so important to get a checkup. I've lost countless loved ones to breast cancer. So I, I think, I think, yes, we, you can either, I think if you, if you lose a loved one to whatever it is, you can choose to just do nothing, to be sad, to close yourself off to the world, or you can try to make it better. You can try to, to raise awareness. You can try to help someone else from making the same mistakes that, that my father made by not ever getting a colonoscopy, you know, just, I have always just like Holly felt that it, I, I needed to do this. I should that we all do. I think all of us need to give back in one way, shape or form. Yeah. It, and it's, it's, I think until people do it, I don't know how much you or people realize it sort of fills up your, your soul gas tank, or <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to describe it, but uh, it's very, um, it, it just, it gives a certain amount of energy that comes along with helping. And, and I'm the same way. I mean, my dad, same thing, colon cancer. Um, you know, and Holly and I do a lot of stuff with the, with the puppy places. Cause you know how we are with those damn dogs. Um, <laughs> since we have a 400, we've run rescues through here. Like it's a dang hostel in Europe. Um, <laughs> but they're awesome. You know, I mean, I really enjoy it. Right. Um, did, uh, another interesting thing that I've talked to Holly about that I've always found is that the, the, you know, Holly came up at a time in media, same as, you know, same as you, where being a woman, um, you know, early on, I'm surely a, a pretty male dominated universe probably still is to a degree. Right. Um, I sat in rooms being the only, this is my, I've, a great story to tell you, but yes, I sat in rooms, Sean, with 
maybe 16 men and me, and they would tell me what women felt was funny. Oh, boy. And I quote, I've had men say, women don't know what's funny. They need to be told what's funny. Oh, my God. And I would say, what? Well, but, oh, but you, you're, you're different. You're, nobody else is like, you're, you're just not the norm. And it would drive me insane. Now, this is the story that I, I usually tell to women conferences, but it was back in the 80s, and I'm in the conference room with about eight guys. I love them to death, but every Tuesday, whatever it was, say every Tuesday when we would get off the air, we had our Tuesday roundup where we would talk about things we were going to do that week, next week, things we needed to do. And I would get to the meeting with my cup of coffee and invariably at least two or three of them would have different girly magazines. You know, penthouse, yes, penthouse or like with or them, hustler or whatever, yes. And I always taught. There weren't a lot of women when I started at all in radio, but I never once would ever let them see me cry ever. And I knew, like the first day, I said something. Oh, she's a big baby, but then they'd like shove it in my face. I said, okay, that's not going to work. Then I tried to be nice. Okay, guys, can you put it down? Oh, she's going to cry again. I said, oh, my God, what am I going to do? It was driving me crazy. So I decided to go and get a stack of Playgirls. (laughs) So our next Tuesday meeting, I had various pictures circled, and I had questions for guys. Oh, my gosh, look at this guy. He's not circumcised. Are you guys circumcised? and I'm telling you, I shut that down. Oh my God, that no is more fantastic. <laughs> but it's, I've always felt that if you complain to somebody nine out of ten times, it's not going to work. It's going to come back to bite you in the butt. It shouldn't, but it did to me. So I had to find other ways of seeking solace or getting revenge, if you know what I'm talking about. And in that case, it worked. Yeah, and here's what's so here's what's so interesting about, you know, again just trying to look at it dispassionately. I mean, I think about y'all show. I think about The Morning X. I think about The Burt Show. I think about Barnes and Furfer, you know, Dave FM. And these amazing powerful women Right. You, my wife, Melissa Carter, Leslie Fram, and Katie Kylie. Yeah, Katie Kylie. And in retrospect, it's like there was almost even and it's weird, like it's it's almost to me like it's it's similar to racism in a sense of and this is a obviously the last couple years this has been a pretty hot topic, you know, but the reality is is sometimes that sexism or racism is not people think they're not because they're not doing it actively. It's like, oh well, I'm not trying to be racist or sexist, so I'm clearly not. But it's those sort of ingrained you know what I mean? Like if you believe it and you're not doing it, and and I just think about you know, on these shows where there would be times where I would hear 
well, why are you stepping on her? You know what I mean? And, and it just seemed to me, and maybe I'm wrong, that, and I'm not, this is not a shot at Steve Barnes or Steve McCoy or Bert or any of these people, but it just seemed like there were circumstances where it's like, well, I'm going to step on my female co-host, you know, because I can, and it's no big deal, or I'm, or I'm going to take this bit over, or I'm going to, you know, sort of push them off to the side. Um, and I don't think it was purposeful, but I think it happens more often than the other way around where a lot of times I wouldn't hear you or Melissa or Katie or whatever, you know what I mean? Trying to sort of dominate your male counterparts. Like, I don't know if I'm imagining I I, that, but I think that that's a thing. I felt like that was a thing. I think I remember, in my opinion, the biggest education to any of the men that I ever worked with on the air was the birth of Sex in the City on HBO. <laughs> because I remember it was a big buzz and it was women were watching it. And remember Steve McCoy saying to me, I said, oh, my God, this show is so fantastic. And he watched an episode and he said, women don't talk like that. I mean, I truly believe that there were men that just thought that, and I'm not saying this, Steve, if you're listening to cut you down, but that's what you did say, buddy, <laughs> that a lot of people, a lot of men were just clueless that women did have sexual appetites, that they were their own person, that they did make their own decisions. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Because I know for a fact that when I left Ohio to come to Atlanta, I had a couple of friends that had recently been married out of college and I said well maybe you can come down and visit and they said well I don't think I can I don't think my husband would let me I know I mean it's hard to believe anybody in 2017 thinking what but there were relationships like that that when you got married it was kind of like over it was kind of you had to ask for permission especially if you didn't work and so that kind of changed to me. I loved it. I loved men being uncomfortable watching that show. It made me very happy. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. And I know people like that still. I mean, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, I married my wife or I, ra rather one of the reasons why I wanted to marry my wife. I thank God every day that she was dumb enough to say yes. But, um, <laughs> but. You know, because if I ever said something like that to Holly, she would just tell me to fuck off. Right. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, that would just be. But that's what I love. Right. She challenges me. Right. We're equals in this deal. You know, like she has no problem. But I feel like, you know, and I know it's, you know, and I think she's she's gotten and, you know, her, her job now is not in such. I mean, her unit is actually mostly women, which is an anomaly. Right. But most of the private networks, people are, are women. Um, really? Yeah. Didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. In fact, I think the only guys in her unit at CNN right now that are men are editors. The executive wow. producers, the, the journalists, all women. Um, which is a little strange, but kind of awesome. <laughs> so it is awesome. I love it. So she doesn't really have to deal with that too much, but, um, you know, she, she's, and I think some of it maybe comes with age and youth, you know, and I, you know, and I don't think that's necessarily true for women. I think that you're, we're all a little more fearful to speak up to the face of anything you feel that isn't right when you're younger. Um, but, you know, it, it's just uh, that's one of the things I loved is just that she she had got she's got bullets for you. You know what I mean? Like if, right. if, and if Mike she, always tells people when we when he proposed to me, I said, well, I've got to tell you something. And he's thinking, oh, my God, what? what? What do you mean you've got? I said, I would never, I'm not going to change my name. And he said, oh, I thought, <laughs> I thought it was going to be something I needed to worry about. Now, not a lot of guys would 
I mean, I've, I've had arguments with my two brothers. They're like, no, nope, that's just not the way you do it. I'm like, why? Explain to me why. I said, there's no law. It's an archaic rule. Not a rule even. It's just something that women have done. Not that I care if you take your Most people do. Most women do take their husband's name. It just it was important to me that I keep my name. And so I was lucky enough to find a guy that just, he doesn't care. And actually... I felt badly because um, the the golf and gala that you you were at the gala. He was at the golf yeah. tournament, and I asked. We were um, uh, we were hosts of it. Uh, yeah, host and <laughs> they said, "What would you like written?" And I said, "Would you put on the host committee? It's Vicky Locke and Mike Hughes." And I just happened to look at it just before you called today and it had Vicky Locke and Mike Hughes Locke. <laughs> oh, like, that's oh, my so God. fantastic. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, honey. <laughs> well, you know, and we deal with that too, right? Because of like furfur, right? I mean, and, and I'm sure. Yeah. And you know, and, and I, I, when, how long have you, when did you and Mike get married? 91. Okay. So, you know, so the, so a little like when, with my situation, Holly was already an, a known commodity right before I came in. And most people know this is there is the, the continuity of name in y'all's line of work is important, right? So she was never going to not be Holly Furfer on the air because she's always been Holly Furfer. And with a name like Furfer, it's like, why would you trade it as something that is as cool and sexy as Furfer for Arnold, which is like the most white bread it's not <laughs> ironic that there's a bread company named arnold because that's the most white bread name you have i mean don't get me wrong i love my dad and i love my name but it ain't that exciting um but we kind of ran through the same thing we went up we were up at the office at the clerk's office in marietta getting our marriage license and i didn't really press either way i will say from the man's perspective which is interesting it's really not a dom i mean I think there's a certain amount of pride that goes along with it. And I don't mean pride in the negative sense. I mean, just this idea of like, you know what I mean? We're getting married and we're joining and it's, and I, but to your point, it's like, I think it would be just as fine if everybody decided to take the woman's name, but just the idea of joining the, you know what I mean? Having a unified name. Um, I, I get that. Um, but, uh, it, but she got there and all of a sudden like had a minor anxiety attack. Because she had said, you know, I'm going to change my name. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever, you know, whatever you can do. And she would be like, I can't change it. I'm not going to change it on the air. And I'm like, no, I mean, why would you? That would just confuse people. That's dumb. Um, and I'm like, really, I don't care. And <laughs> she got up there and couldn't. She And like, all of a sudden, all of her plans went out the window. Like, am I going to drop my middle name? But I kind of like my middle name. And now I don't. But it's funny, her decision, because she went with Holly Beth Furfer Arnold as the legal name. Um. But now it's like her SkyMiles account's got the wrong name and her passport's got a different name. Like every <laughs> everything she's got has got different names. And even <laughs> even 10 years later, it will occasionally rare. Like when we flew internationally not too long ago and she's got to do this thing to try to reconcile her passport and her, you know, her SkyMiles account because to make sure she gets miles and stuff. And it's just but you're right. It is kind of a ridiculous old like custom when you think about it. Right? Well, I, re I remember I was six years old. I have two brothers and I remember going to a wedding or something and they said, and now she's Mrs. Such and such. And I asked my parents, I said, why is she not whatever? And they said, Oh, well, when you get married, you have to change your name. And I 
remember, I mean, I swear to you, I'm six years old. I said, I will never do that. <laughs> I, 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 I want to be, I want to be Vicki Locke. What? And I remember going, daddy, can I be? And he goes, you can do whatever you want. Now my mom said she, she forgot about it, but she thought, oh, I'm, this is a story I'll tell you on your wedding day and we'll laugh. Well, uh, who's laughing? <laughs> didn't change, didn't change it. No, I there's mean, I stayed a, that way. There's a cool thing that I don't know if you saw, um, uh, or that you've seen before. And I'm now I'm so mad. I cannot remember the artist or the actress, but, um, I was just reading something on their Wikipedia page, but basically her husband, when they got married, um, so let's just say her last name is Smith and his last name is Jones. Um, she changed her last name to Smith Jones and he changed his last name to Jones Smith. Really? Yeah. So they both have hyphenated with their original name as the lead, right? Like their birth name. And their spouse's name hyphenated and tacked on to the end. Well, aren't Angelina and Brad's kids, Jolie Pitt, don't the kids share both their names? Yes, they do. I mean, and I, but I don't, but they obviously didn't change their names, but this was just the two people. And, and I think it said in the article that they did decide on which hyphenation order the kids were going to be. Um, they did make that call, you know, but I thought that was kind of cool, right? Like that's some compromise, yeah. right? A little give and take. Yeah, but, but it, you can't remember who it is. No, I can't. I'm the worst. That's the other thing too. That like, are you? This is fascinating in general. I think you're one of the greatest that's ever done it, though. Like you're this sort of grasp of pop culture. Like you, you know, you you have. So did you? Are you a consumer of pop culture, like with t- television and all this stuff, or did you do it because it obviously is such a huge part of? the radio shows that you did, you had to be able to talk about those things. Did you feel like you were doing research or did you just consume it all and then were able to talk about it? I started out as a, I wanted to be the next Woodward and Bernstein or Woodward slash Bernstein, one of the two. I started out in uh, talk radio and believe it or not, at one point in time, I was so consumed with politics that I'll never forget people were saying, who shot JR? Oh my gosh. Who shot JR? Who do you think it is? I didn't know what that was all about. No way. And I was like the only person. And I said, Oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Then when I got the job on an FM station and it was more about pop culture, I consumed that just like I did politics at one time or I would have with sports or whatever. I just felt that it was, was my job that if somebody came on, if there was an Adam Levine and he came on the station and he, I needed to know, was he married? What was his favorite color? What he liked to have for dessert? You know what I'm saying? I just felt that that was my job that I needed to. So I did try to consume it and it kind of stuck a little bit. I still get magazines. I still watch entertainment tonight. Not as much as I used to, in the past because now I, I do other things, but yeah. And I, I did, unfortunately I couldn't do that with math to save my life, but yeah. <laughs> talk about Beyonce's lemonade. Got it covered. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so Holly and you are so she's the same way. Like it's, there's no there, math. She'll ask me like, what's 10% off of a hundred dollar item. And like, I'm sorry, honey, but <laughs> It's just not, 
it's just not her thing, which is fine. She is awesome at just about everything. It's nice that she has a flaw, to be honest. But um, but it's funny how that. <laughs> but she's the same way, like the trash magazines and stuff, right? Like she still reads all that stuff. They've even got a deal in the neighborhood. This is actually kind of smart. I think I could appraise their efficiency, where everyone has like a subscription or two, and they go mailbox to mailbox. So everyone doesn't oh, that's have to a buy. Great idea. Yeah. So what happens? I'm going to steal that and do that in my neighborhood. Yeah. So she's like, "Hey, like <laughs> Friday night, we were or Saturday night, we were getting ready to go to the True Colors Gal, and she goes, can we swing by Angel and Rob's house? I need to drop off magazines.'" <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And they just move in a rotation <laughs> across the across around the hood, so every we don't everybody doesn't have to buy you know, 40, I'm like, save the trees, save some money. It's a win-win. Yeah. Perfect. And she still loves the, to, the paper magazine though, too. I'm like, why don't you just get the iPad subscription? And she's like, I don't I like to be able to turn the pages. Are you, st- are you still like that? You I still do. Like yes. I did get a Kindle finally. I used to just, I always said, no, I love books so much that I, it was almost to me, a good book is like a present. It's like a perfect gift. And I want to be able to hold that gift. But now I'm I've kind of gotten into the Kindle. Still love reading, but I can. I, it's so much easier to throw your Kindle into your handbag than it is to a you know 600 page book. So yeah, I read. Kind of changed my way. That's kind of my jam is reading. I I read 30, 40 books a year. Um, what have you read? What do I need to read? Oh my gosh! I mean, what are you what are you into? Like, do you read fiction, nonfiction, anything like? I love a good novel. I want to escape. Have you read 112263 by Stephen King? I have not. Let me write that down. It's 112263. Yeah, it's my favorite. Is that a date? Yes. So it's the date that Kennedy. November 22nd? It's the date. Yeah, the date Kennedy was shot. Um, So. I'll give you a quick premise on it. So this can be kind of like a Sean's book review for anybody that's listening. Um, and it's not like your typical horror trope. Like I know, you know, I, I have, I'm like a defender of all things Stephen King because I think he's maybe the greatest modern American storyteller. Um, and he doesn't just do horror books, right? Like, I mean, I don't know if people know that stand by me, the Shawshank redemption, um, Stephen King, right? So, um, the, the premise is that there's a guy in Maine, shocker, uh, <laughs> That's like a school teacher at this uh, at this school, and this all happens in the first fifteen pages of the book. Just a, a high school English teacher, I think he is, and he uh, goes to this Greasy Spoon kind of diner in town that a lot of people don't go to anymore because they think the guy that owns it's kind of a wackadoo, and you know. But he's it's his routine, and he goes and talks to this guy. Well, he shows up, you know, and sees the guy one morning, and he sits down, orders his breakfast, and he's eating breakfast, and then the guy comes back like like five minutes later and he looks awful. He looks like he's aged 10 years. He looks really sick and he can't figure out what's going on. So basically what the guy tells him is, is he found out that in his pantry of this diner, if you walk to the back, you'll find an invisible staircase. And when you walk through it, you come out on this exact day in like March of 1960 in the town in Maine, if you go through the portal, you always land on that exact time on this exact day in March. Of So if there's a time, like a wormhole, 
if you will, in science, or a time-traveling hole in, in the pantry of this diner. So the guy has figured out, or the guy tells him, because it turns out the guy's dying, and that he thinks that if, if, if somehow they could stop the Kennedy assassination, history would, you know, because if, if Kennedy doesn't die, then Johnson doesn't become president, and we probably don't get deeper into Vietnam. So he's just trying to imagine all these terrible dominoes that fell in the wake of Kennedy being killed. And he's got cancer because the reality is, is whenever you go back in time through the portal, no matter how long you stay in the past, when you come back through the portal, it's only been two minutes. So if you go back in time for five years and come back, it's two minutes later to the people in the present. Oh, my God. So he had gone back in time and gotten sick because he was going back trying to figure out this Kennedy thing. And he came back two minutes later, but really it was a couple years and he'd gotten sick in that amount of time and he's dying and he knows it. And he tries to convince the school teacher he needs to take up the mantle and go back and try and save Kennedy. Because he, you're going back with the knowledge of history, right? And but the right. book, so so that's the that's the general vehicle for the book. But what's amazing about it is just clearly, since you land in like 1960, it's a minimum three year commitment because Kennedy's not shot until November of '63. So, you know, you're going to age. You can come back and you know to the present, and you know, but you're going to be three years older because your body's continuing to age. But it's this idea of like having to assimilate the guy builds relationships you know what I mean thinking he's just going to go back and see what's going on but you come to care about people you come to and now you're this person that's split between two worlds basically right um right and so it's just this guy's journey basically trying to decide if he should try to do this to go back and change the course of history and obviously he dies before he can right yeah but I'm saying the English well, the English no no no, no 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 I'm saying the English teacher no no the other guy the 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 main guy is this English teacher and the guy is dying so he's like you have to do this and the book is about this young guy this young English teacher trying to decide if he's going to do it how he's going to do it and then what happens when you just drop yourself you know a 2015 person dropping yourself into 1960 and trying to assimilate and live and you know no internet no cell phones you know every you know milk's five cents um where does where do you get money what do you do but it, it, but you know King's research is amazing. Just the and, you know the historical facts that we know is all woven throughout the book. And I kind of have a thing for the Kennedy assassination anyway. Like it's it's a fascinating you know peer thing in our history. I think um, horrible. Did you see Jackie with Natalie Portman? I have not seen it yet, but I desperately want to see it. It's good. Um, but that book is fantastic. Um, if you um. The other thing too, if you come over, we put in a uh, the next time you guys are at the house, um, we put in a chalk wall, like a in the kitchen. Um, we did chalk. Oh paint, yeah. And um, right now is favorite books. So anytime any people come over, we ask them to just write their favorite books up on the on the chalk wall. Have you read the one and only Ivan? No, I haven't even heard of it. What's you can about? read it. I read it on a plane. It's a short read. It's and you'll love it because you and Holly both love animals, but it's about a gorilla. And his his life and how the gorilla and the other animals feel when they're caged up. I absolutely loved it. You'll probably love it more than me. But it's an easy read. Um, the one and only Ivan. I think you'll love it. I will. It sounds awesome. Um, so anyway, go write it on the chalkboard right now. I will. Um, and thanks for that. So <laughs> the point of it is, I read so much because I actually got taught it um, as a mechanism um, because when I when the when I lay down at night to go to bed and the lights go off, my brain 
turns on. I mean, my mind starts to race, right? I start thinking. Me too. I cannot. I exactly. I can't turn it off. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever tried this, but one of the things someone gave me and I do it now religiously is I read every night when I get in bed and and believe it or not, there's actually, there are biochemical things because you are sort of quasi prone. You're in bed, which is a normal place to sleep, but your brain is preoccupied and that effectively it's almost like running a dog, right? That's, that's really like you're draining the battery, like the last few minutes of battery in your brain by reading. And then when I start to get tired and heavy eyed, right. When reading, and usually for me, it's between 45 minutes and an hour. I just put my book down and turn off the light and it makes it a hundred times easier for me to fall asleep. Um, so give it a shot because I'm just the worst. I'll just lay there and toss and turn for like an hour and a half. If I don't, well, I turn the TV on and I put the, uh, I put it on for 30 minutes. The, I set it for 30 minutes and I put some stupid television show that it's just, but as long as I look at it and it as boring (laughs) as it is, I'll be asleep in five minutes. Oh, and then well, the TV will shut off. Well, that's good because I but can't do that because the if, flashing lights wig me out on the TV. Oh, really? Okay. Not generally, but like that. You know, like that almost revs my brain up more, like all that input. You know what I mean? Whereas just reading. But the point is, is with so I I do that now, and that's why I get so many books read. Um, but um, but the the Kindle. If I read a really really good book, I think I might not be able to put it down. And I'm like that, Even though how it's learned, it's learned. I mean, I was like that too. And then I was like, it's 3 a.m. I have to get up for work. Um, you know what I mean? And in, in three or four hours. Um, but, but again, it was just like, when you start to feel tired, you have to have discipline to put it, you know what I'm saying? Because, because it's understanding I'm reading because I love to read, but the end goal is also to be able to sleep. So I just make myself, you know, and, and because I know I'm going to read again tomorrow, it's just, you know, it's, it's not like I can't, you know, I'm, I'm able to sort of put it down. But that's been kind of the thing for me that was great because now having all those books stashed on a, on a single little paper thin device. Um, I mean, I did do love the tactile nature of books, but the practicality of having them all on a, on a tablet is just too much for me to pass. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's a beautiful thing. I mean, because it's just so, (laughs) it's just so great, but you know, I don't, I never been much of a magazine reader. Um, but to your point, like talking about podcasts, I mean, now that's my thing too. Like I've gotten now to where I used to be like 5% podcasts and like, you know, 95% radio. And now I listen, I bet I'm 70, 30 podcast to radio when I'm in the car. So how we can wow. how, yeah, like I have, you know, obviously I host my podcast on this site called Podbean, um, which has a bunch of them. And so I just follow podcasts that I like. And then when I get in my car, I'm Bluetooth connected. I just pull up the Podbean app and just scroll to one that I've got on and see if there's a new episode. I just hit it and it just plays. So, um, you know, I go, I just go and, and just roll that when I'm in the car. But I think a lot of people are doing that now. Yeah. It, this media, I mean, how has that been for you? Podcasting. It's fun. It lets us do whatever we want, when, whenever we want, for as long as we want. And we don't have to worry about sponsors or going too long. Or, you know what I'm saying? It's been great. And it's, it, it keep, keeps us together as friends because, as you know, we're all so busy and with our commutes 
so long, it's hard to get together a lot of times, especially during the week. I remember I used to, it used to be on a Thursday night, let's get together, or a Friday night. Now I don't even want to go into the city on a Friday because it's going to take me an hour and a half to get there. Yeah, I'm the same way. My wife is the uh, is a, is the the Terminator. She will go down. <laughs> she's up in Sugarloaf right now doing something for the American Cancer Society. I mean, you know, it's just it's great. She just I, she's a machine, and I am not. I'm just especially Fridays. Like that's like I've just busted it all week. Like I just want to come home and watch Scandal. <laughs> or, you know right? I mean? Wasn't it great? Are you caught no, up? No, we're not. So don't tell me anything. We're in the process of trying uh, to get trying to get caught up. We're TV watchers. Are you oh and Mike my, TV watchers? I'm more than I like a lot of the shows that are really bizarre, like The Leftovers. Oh yeah, I love That's a that cool show. show. Yeah. And he'll go, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> he kind of likes he likes NCIS. He likes The Blacklist, and he likes sports. We've got the MLB channel, so he'll watch. Baseball, of course, of course all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Did um? Are you gonna watch the Twin Peaks reboot? Or not reboot? I think I'm gonna give ex- it a shot. Extension? Yeah. I think I am. I-, I was kind of on the fence, but I think I probably will. Um, I like Kyle McLaughlin a lot, so um, but I wasn't sure. That's it. Seems like that's tough. You know what I mean? That's gonna be tough to try to pull off. Do you know if Do you Dave, watch The Walking Dead? Yes, because Mike hates that. I love that. How can you hate The Walking Dead? What's yeah, it, I don't what's know. His problem? Just, <laughs> I don't know. There's no baseball. I don't. <laughs> golly, that show is so good. It's actually, I think, too violent for him. He's seen a couple episodes. Oh my God, what has my wife turned into? I don't know. I just, I love the show. Too violent. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I could repeat some of the things I heard him and Fred Khalil say to one another at the golf course the other day. Oh, yeah. They call each other. <laughs> yeah, they have a very fun saying for one another. <laughs> one of the, one of the, yeah, indeed. Um, cause the funny thing was, was Mike, walk, I was talking to Fred when Mike walked up and I couldn't see Mike, like he walked up behind me and he yelled this particular phrase out. And I actually thought he was talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what did I do? I know. And then, and then I was like, oh, he's talking to Fred. That's fine. Um, but whoever see my posts on Facebook, anything that has to do with Mike, Fred will usually say, Say hi to CS. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. no one else knows what it is, but yeah. you do. Yeah, I do now. Um, that's the other <laughs> thing I love about podcasting is I can swear. So the funny thing I know, you're right. Yeah. So the funny thing that happened one a funny thing happened on the way to the iTunes um submission store. Um and and I just I, I just like swear I, I like swearing in the right spots. I think like any other word, you know, just like the right time to use a word for emphasis or whatever um and but i was like eh, do i want to do that because the podcast and i don't know who'll listen and i tried to whatever but i'm sure a few still snuck i mean i think i dropped an f-bomb earlier when we were talking on this but um i got slapped with the e the the explicit tag when they put my, <laughs> when they put my podcast up yeah. on itunes i got the little e out that'll myself. happen so, you know, I yeah. just said now I'm going to get my money's worth. If they're going to all be E's, I mean, I'm not going to just, you know, I'm not going to try to watch it. I'm just going to let it fly. Because <laughs> there, right. there aren't levels of E. It's just E or not. So, fucking iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> 
but um did you <laughs> do you guys um do you find that with podcast I mean do you feel like you guys take advantage I mean I've listened to one you know I just listened yesterday driving home actually from baseball I listened to the Barry Manilow episode which I think is the most recent episode um yeah and uh do you find though that doing that like it's hard to break out from your convention I mean obviously you know you did it in a very professional very structured kind of environment for so long do you find do you find it hard to say, hey, we can be a, so much looser now and we can I do whatever? I think we got slapped at the E once, too. And every once in a while, it just, it, it'll it happen, you know. So, yeah, I mean, and that makes it funnier instead of just. But I, don't even, for, but I don't even mean the swearing. I just mean, like, do you find yourself oh. when you're doing a bit, like, going, we've only got three minutes or we've only got, you know, because, like, Holly still has kind of that internal clock a little bit, you know, or that's what I love about my thing. Cause it's long form and I'm not jaded because this is easily the least professional like recording experience you've ever had for sure. So, <laughs> because I am not a professional, I'm just talking, right? You Which are I professional. No. I mean, you, you, you kind of sort of are. Well, I mean, only, yes, you are. only by sleeping with a professional. That's the only way that I have any sort of, <laughs> but, um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, you know, my whole idea for this podcast was the idea that I wanted to be long form. I wanted to talk to people that I respected and thought were really interesting and that we could just do whatever we wanted. But I don't, you know, I don't have any, any background of that would, that would prevent me from asking a question a certain, you know what I mean? Does that, you understand what I'm saying? Like I've never operated under any rules. So I just didn't wonder right. if when you guys were podcasting, you find yourself going, well, you know, we need to do a bumper here and then we need to do four minutes and then we need to talk about this. And then I need to do a stop set. And then I want to have, a <laughs> no, it's just, we all get together and usually somebody brings lunch or, and, and we just sit and just bullshit until yes, like an hour. Or so Vicky lock swear then... word. Somebody write that down. <laughs> Oh my God, mom, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm as happy as I've been all week. Vicky Locke just said bullshit on my podcast. <laughs> I also have to say that that laugh, that's what I was going for. I think you've easily got the best laugh in, in the last 30 years of Atlanta radio. I was listening oh, to the sure. I was listening to the Manilow interview and I and I'm so mad I was going to write it down but I was in my car but you, something tickled you and I mean it got you good <laughs> during that show and you got to laughing and it just was it was magical <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and listen to it now because you just got that big like I'm having a good time laugh. Um, and isn't that the best? Isn't it just great? I that's one of my most fun things to do is laugh. It's like it just makes me happy. Yeah, it absolutely. I mean, I laugh at myself. Right? Like if you like it, on here, if you ever listen to my podcast, before I'll even give the audience a chance to acknowledge that it's funny, I will already be laughing. I know. Because and it's nice because I used to laugh at a lot of Facebook postings. You still make me laugh. <laughs> but then I try. lately, there's just so much 
and just people being mean. And I'm like, no, I don't want, I don't need this. I want to, I want to be entertained. I want to laugh. Yeah. The, 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 it's, it is. And, and I, I think science tells us now that there is some therapeutic value, right? I mean, you know, whether it's the releasing of chemicals or whatever, but there's just something great about it. That's why I say that I don't go to stand up enough. I'm this person that, cause I love stand up. I, I mean, I watch specials and, Me too. and it's like once or twice a year, there'll be some event or something and we'll end up at the punchline and I'm sorry, Jamie Bendel, who was supposed to do the podcast at some point. Um, and we go and I'm like, how do we not do this? Like once a month tickets are like 15 bucks. You know what I mean? You go in yep. and listen to these amazing, like, because that to me is so different than rock and roll. If you two comes into town, they're going to play it like the dome. But you get these comedians that you would think, you know, these monster comedians that are just in this little room, you know, at, at up, you know, sharing space over or in the, you know, in the, it, now that they're in the back, in the, in the auditorium back or the, at Landmark Diner. And, it's just like, what? this is like the great, you know, you can eat, you can have a few beers. Well, let's do that because we haven't seen each other in like a year. So why don't the four of us make that a plan to go to the punchline? We should. and it, But, you know, it's such an easy thing to do and you can just go and just giggle and, you know, just laugh your tail off and it oh. would just be, we ought to get. Have you seen Brian Regan? No, every, you're the third person, no kidding, in the last month that has asked me if I've ever listened to Brian Regan. He's great and he doesn't cuss at all and oh, he will I'll have you rolling <laughs> no i'm telling you it's and he's huge he's just which i think is kind of difficult but he we i i love him so much i think he'll still do this if you see him that the u2 phrase he's the guy that says the u2 phrase so you know what i'm saying so you're you're in a cab and he's dropping you off at the airport and he says hey have a good flight and you go you do and then you feel stupid like if you ever uh get the time off from the driving and i mean he he i love him so much i'm not doing him justice at all i'm not doing him justice but he's just a really funny he he captures everyday life in a beautiful way and I think he's performing at the Cobb Energy Center, unless mm. he already has. But that's another thing we could go do. Yeah, no, I'm down with that. We um. And if you don't laugh, I will buy your ticket. No, no, I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will laugh. Um, we just went and saw uh, Jim Jeffries at the Cobb Energy Center, and I'm pretty sure I ruptured my spleen. <laughs> really? I mean. <laughs> I love him really? anyway. I my face, my stomach and my face hurt because it was. I was just so. Have you ever listened to any of his standups? I haven't. Okay, he's the Australian guy that did the guns rant that made like went viral. I don't know if you've seen okay. this, but look it up on YouTube. If you just do Jim Jeffries guns, okay. right, and and he's an Aussie, and he um. It's basically just the premise of the bit is basically just like, it's okay, America, just admit it. You just love guns. You're trying to use all these reasons as to why, but the real reason is you just really love guns. And anyway, but he is the, whatever, you said Regan doesn't cuss, Jeffries is the opposite. He is the most irreverent, but there's something about being really crude in a, in a super cool accent that kind of takes the edge off it. 
Um, yeah. Because here's the thing. He calls, I think actually there's some kind of, he said he set a record, but his thing, he calls people dumb cunts. That's his, that's his like insult of choice for everyone, right? Like if I were to call somebody an asshole, you know what I mean? Or jerk off or whatever. And, and that word, I don't like that word at all, right? I mean, it just, it's kind of a, it just sounds awful. You know what I mean? And, but when he does it, it's just so, it's, he's so disarming, right? As a comedian that it just floats right by. Um, but he has just a keen, he has, a, especially given the political climate in the United States right now. Um, as oh a, yeah, as we're a, making it easy for comedians. But as an outsider, he has a really interesting perspective because he's an Aussie and he grew up there, but he kind of splits time, you know what I mean? Now that he's gotten much bigger, but um, he has a Netflix stand-up that he put out a few months ago called Free Dumb, F-R-E-E-D-U-M-B. Um, <laughs> and okay. it's sort of completely about, like, there's a picture of him with, like, a big Trump hairdo or something on the cover. So, as you might imagine, he's a fairly liberal dude. Um, so, if you're listening, kids, and you don't want to hear um, dirty liberal comedians, you know, or people like me that, you know, are more liberal, he's probably not your your bag. But... um. But he's a genius. Was it an expensive ticket? Yeah, it was a hundred bucks or something a seat. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, but um, that should be our new thing because now I'm trying to, and the bigger acts I go see, but we definitely should try to go to another. Uh, we we all ought to go to a comedy show. But um, check out his. You should get him on your podcast. Yeah, you know what's funny about the podcast? Um, and again, like I don't. This is probably this is what's interesting because before Holly which I don't know how much you know about my background but I was you know I worked with a band I was with a band back in the day and that's kind of how I got into the Atlanta radio scene because we had a deal we got signed by Capricorn and we had a song on 99X for a minute and whatever um and that's how I got introduced to Holly was through people in the radio business um because she would fill in for Leslie at 99X um and she met you and you were the guy in the band no after the band days, I actually went to see a musician buddy of mine play, and that's right when they'd started the Barnes and Furfer on Dave FM. And I knew Steve. Yeah. I knew Steve, and I went into it was actually at Meehan's when it was over in uh, Brookhaven, and uh, I saw I went to see my buddy John, who was in town from Philly, to play at this charity thing, and Dave FM was sponsoring it, and the their morning show was only like a month old. And I happened to see Barnes from across the room, and I just said, I'll walk over and say hello. And Holly was there with him. And he goes, do you know my new co-host? She used to fill in on 99X. And I'm like, oh, well, I remember the name, but I've never met her. And he introduced us. And she was there with the dude she was dating at the time. And uh, and I heard like three months later that they had broken up. And no kidding, talk about stalkerazzi. <laughs> I went to the Dave FM website and clicked on the email Holly button and it didn't even give me an email address. You know what I mean? It just pulled up like the form, like the email form. Yeah. And I typed into the box. Hey, Holly, I'm Sean. I met you at me hands with Barnes a while back. <laughs> and she responded to the email. And so she must have remember you, obviously. Yeah, I think more she asked Barnes, like, "Is this who is this?" And Barnes was like, "That's my buddy, or whatever. That's a guy, you know. You know, we met him at the thing." But then I, when it, I confirmed that she was single again, I asked her out, and uh, 
And I did the most emasculating thing you can ever do on a first date. I went to a Tori Amos concert. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that was love. We met at Shout for sushi, and then we went to Woodruff Art Center to see Tori Amos. And uh, five months later, I proposed. That's a, that's a true you story. You proposed in five months? Yep. Wow. And we were engaged for a year, and we just had our 10th anniversary. So, um, Congratulations. I know, crazy town. But um, that was just, but anyway, so I was always around the business. And one of the, again, the podcast thing was all because of this idea of being able to have these conversations that are interesting to me. But I was, again, like I was always just really fascinated with radio. Right. And like as a medium, you know, and, and, and again, I think that I was really jaded because I was lived in a place where I got to hear you and Steve and Tom and Barnes and, you know, Barnes, Leslie and Jimmy. And you know what I mean? Like just these Titanic type shows where everything was done so well. That was always kind of like a bucket list or not a bucket list, but you know, you know how people wanted to be actors or sports stars or whatever. And I was, had already been a musician, so I didn't really get to check that, but I was like, God, I think I would love to do that. And I said, and I think I would be okay at it, you know, because I'm, I'm you would, cause I read a lot and I know a lot of random crap about nonsense. And I feel like I'm pretty decent with the drop, you know, like the witty sort of banter deal. And, and it, you know, and I just never you know, it wasn't anything I was ever going to pursue. Um, but then like, this is, I sort of am getting to live the dream right now doing this. Um, even though whether anyone listens or not, it, I get to, you know, I feel like I've got my own little radio show. <laughs> you can have the fur for an Arnold show. Well, she's going to be on at some point. We've kicked that around. I have a couple of ideas for other podcasts that I think would be really really fun um i have an idea for one i want your opinion on whether or not you think this would be funny or good and i want to call it the y chromosome w-h-y and what i oh, want and what i want to do is solicit questions from women like legitimate questions about men right why do men do this? Or a, a, a guy did this. What was he thinking? Or how should I interpret this? And then I want us to talk. And then I want to get Holly on the air. I would love to get you on. Like any peep women that I know are like these strong women. And basically interpret and go, I'll tell you why he said that or did that. Because this is one of those things, right? We've run into this with Holly, like with their friends. You know, she'll tell me like, well, so-and-so was dating so-and-so. And then, you know, she texts the guy four times and he did this or he stood her up or he, you know, sent her a thing or whatever. And I'll just be like, yeah, he's cheating on her or <laughs> yeah, he's, do you know what I mean? He doesn't like her, but they won't tell her. I'd like to know why guys, I have a couple of friends that, cause I, you and I, we don't do the dating sites. <laughs> right. So I'm getting an education for my single friends about swiping right and left winking, whatever they do. But why is it I actually have friends where guys will send them a text picture of their junk. Yeah. Like, who does that? They go, oh, it's a thing. I go, are you kidding me? It's a thing? It's a thing? Who does that? Why yeah. would a guy do that? You mean before, they, before they've actually? Uh, yes. So answer me that, Sean. Okay. I can tell you the answer to this. So okay. there is a... 
I think it's first of all, let me preface this by saying I think that that's absolutely ridiculous. And under no circumstances should you send a total stranger a picture of your dick. So let me just get that out of the way. But guys are, they're still, it's really, they're dumb. They're, of course, they're dumb. That's a given. But I, but honestly, I think there is still an element of, and not to get overly psychological because I am not a professional, um, people still a lot of the times will exhibit like kind of your caveman-y, you know what I mean? Like sort of instincts. Um, I think that the lizard brain and, you know, I think a lot of times humans in general will revert to, you know, these sort of animal instinctual things. And I think there are guys that believe in a very, you know, the same reason why gorillas beat their chest or, you know, whatever, that for some reason that is a, that's like a show of masculinity or a show of power or whatever. And no one's that's a really bad answer. <laughs> no, it, no, that's a hundred, that's a hundred percent true. And, and then the other thing, really? yeah, absolutely. Because listen, I've seen this before where guys, I know this for a fact, I've watched guys do it where you were in a bar and there's a girl in there that the guy thinks is attractive and, um, they will make a, they will try to do something to show some level of masculinity right? Like pick up something heavy or interfere in some kind of bar brawl and act like they're the big badass or whatever. It's, it's like showing your, it's a peacock. It's showing, it's trying to show your feathers, but they don't understand that it's not going to help. Right. It's just this really weird idea of like, how can I beat, you know, oh, oh, right. Like beat my chest. I mean, like a, like a, a an ape would. It doesn't make any sense. But now they're beating their meat. Right. Exactly. But then there's the other thing part of it, which is this part of it, for the ones that aren't do, that are doing it sort of subconsciously. The ones that are doing it consciously are doing it for this reason. They're looking to get laid, and it's a numbers game. If they send a picture of their dick to 50 people, the one girl that responds that she likes the dick pic is the one that'll fuck them later. Like, okay. like, right. Like, think about it. Like if you, if you, cause that's the whole thing about online. It's not like back in the day where I got maybe one shot, you know what I mean? At some point in the evening, if I go talk to somebody and they shoot me down, like that's it. But with online, it's like, it's just endless. You know, you can send out hundreds of messages and you know what I'm saying? It's so just instead of going to a bar and buying a girl a drink. Now you can just do it for free. If you've got unlimited data and just send it out to the masses and hope that it clicks with somebody. Yeah, that's but, what you're telling me? Yeah, because that's think, what we've come to. Yeah, of course it. Of course that's what we've come to. I mean, but think about that. Like think about if a girl is enough of a freak to where she likes getting the dick pic, then right? Maybe that's exactly what she's going for. It's just like if you were to swipe right and send a guy a picture of, you know, your copy of the Iliad by Homer. Like, what's the kind of response? What kind of guy is going to respond to that? Well, you know, ideally a guy that maybe thought that was cool. <laughs> right. So it's, but it's just about, it's just about zeroing in on your target and a girl that likes the that dick pic. My husband. Yeah. I mean, a girl that he doesn't even, can't even spell the Iliad. Stop. <laughs> if you ask him what the Iliad was, he would say it's where the, um, San, it's where the San Antonio Spurs play at the Iliad in San Antonio. <laughs> 
Um, yes. But no, but I think that's it. I think it's about it's about targeting because, you know, right. Does that make sense to you? Like if someone likes that, then they're probably good to go. They're probably game to to throw down. Yes, that just I find that so strange. Dudes are shameless, but- Vicky. Like there are guys are. And I'm bad because I was the guy I was the like sensitive ish dude that was had tons of girlfriends. You know what I mean? Growing up. Like but I, you're with Holly, so obviously you evolved. No, no. You would never have, yeah. No, okay. I'm saying when I was younger, I was the guy that was like, that had the girlfriend, and when they would break up, I would like talk to them for hours about how it's okay, and I never was that guy. I never was that dude that was like, you know, the sort of like drunk frat guy buckhead dude that, you know what I mean, that was just out trolling for getting laid later. That just was never my M.O. But I was weird, you know, amongst sort of my my compatriots. I mean, I know lots of people that kind of that was their that was their deal. But anyway, um, I just think sort of the honest, unabashed opinion. Uh, like, I don't I think people tend to temper their comments with their friends like this phenomenon, like this whole th- I have this argument with Holly, like once every six months this hypothetical situation of if you've got a girlfriend and she's got a boyfriend and you confirm that the boyfriend is cheating on the girlfriend, do you tell her? Oh God, no. See, what do you mean? How can okay, you Okay, this is true. true story. Dr. Phil, before he had his TV show and he was more, his claim to fame was Oprah and he was doing a lot of book tours. He was always on the show with Steve and I on Star 94. So, I, he came on and he would counsel couples. Well, I had a friend, my Mike found out that he was friends with the guy she was dating and he found out that he was cheating. So I tell this to Dr. Phil and he said, absolutely not. He said, love is blind. She probably knows or she will know, but if you tell her it will ruin your friendship. And this is basically what he said. So I waited a month. I waited two months. We had always made a pledge to one another if and I was already married, I said, if Mike ever cheats, you've got to promise to tell me. Okay, I swear. If uh, I'm ever dating a guy and he cheats, you've got to tell me. So I remember that's in the back of my head. Well, I decide, okay, before I just tell her, I'm going to get all this evidence. I found the girl's name. I got her phone number. I found all her background I because he, he was still cheating on her during this whole time. So I finally call her and I say, I've got to tell you something. Remember, we always made this pledge to each other. Yes. So I tell her the story. She goes to him and he says that I'm crazy, that I'm making this up, that I'm jealous of her. Long story short, she and I had been friends for 15 years and she just started to date this guy. We didn't speak for probably two years until she caught him because just like Dr. Phil said, Love is blind, and she didn't want to hear it. So that's why I gave you the answer that I did. Now, Vicky, I'm going to have to tell you that I think that's the worst advice. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all I got. That's my best, Doctor Phil. Um, that was excellent. Now I don't. Here's and here's what I don't. I just wholly disagree with that. I mean, and let me tell you why. Because number one, I don't. Like there are safety issues these days. What if she does? I had Sean. I had her on the phone with the woman. She didn't know. No, no, I no. I said, I'm please not... call her. 
she called and said, oh, why do you want to know about this guy? Has he asked you out? She goes, well, we were supposed to go to such a, we were supposed to go to Disney World. He promised my little boy Disney World. And he, he didn't even show up. He made some lame excuse. The lame excuse was he went out of town with my friend. So I'm thinking, okay, her heart's going to be broken, but she's getting all the details. She, he still managed to tell her, well, that girl is just a liar, and she was a stalker at the club where I work out, whatever it was. I'm just telling you, Sean, I had every, every – there's no reason in a court of law he would have been put away. <laughs> but she, in the court of love, she didn't see it that way. No, but here's the thing. This, though, is for me. Like, It's not so uh, much about – it would be more about my own – uh, my own conscience or conscience, right? It, it is the ability to just go because you know, like there's diseases, there's there's all kinds of things, right? That like I would feel so irresponsible, like to like what if he, you know, what I'm saying, like he could hurt, her, he could kill her, right? He could give her HIV, right? So my thing is just I just have never understood, and I don't. Maybe I'm a weird example because, and guys in general are different than girls, like. I could MF my best friend. It's I've done it before. And we've we've gotten into a fist fight in his front yard and 12 hours later everything's fine. So that's a thing that's a little different <laughs> I think with men and women. But I just would not, you know, if she if if she doesn't appreciate the fact that I was looking out for her I just don't know if that kind of. But she friend, does now. She yeah, does she does now. now but, but it's like, but what's the, you know? I mean, I don't. If I were you in that situation, and then she found out and came back to me, I'd be like, I don't know if we all want to be friends with you anymore. Like I was trying to look out for you and and be a friend, and you just like wrote me out of your life. Fuck off. <laughs> like I, I just don't, I don't get that. I just, I have a hard time as I get older finding any circumstances where honesty does not make a lot of sense well if you tomorrow said to me i think mike's cheating on you there is no way i would believe you well i would say because i love him well i'm just thinking how she was thinking yeah, so no, in no. my head i wouldn't do supposition i'm talking about if we've got some confirmation I'm not just talking about throwing wild ass things. Like if somebody and says I did this to have confirmation. I'm just saying, but this would be a great conversation to have because, I, like I said, if I had to do it over again with her, I would not. I would have waited. I would have gotten. I would have somehow tried to make it so she caught them because that's the only way she believed it when she finally did. Well, because I then she, everybody, everybody knew. And I was the only one that I let her know that I knew, and she and he told all his friends to keep their mouth shut, which they did. So now she's not friends with any of them, and she feels very badly that she didn't believe me. But I totally get why she didn't, especially because what Dr. Phil told me, <laughs> love is blind. Well, I think you did the right thing, So, um, but we can't. But anyway... That's gonna. That's one of my ideas. I think that would be fun. I think there would be you could spur some really interesting, interesting conversations, much like the one we just had. Um, I think so. Too. So anyway, that. <laughs> so this has been a great little um, chance for me to sort of live a like minor back of my mind dream. But to your point though about how it's kind of when you were saying about asking someone to be on the podcast. 
Um, I the it the it's borderline obsessive. Like I find my so we went to the Dominican Republic, and I'm not kidding you. I had just started working on the podcast. I put my laptop and a and a blue snowball in my backpack. Because I told Holly, I was like, you never know, Holly. We might meet somebody at the resort, and I want to tape a podcast while I'm down there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, like, it's kind of ridiculous because now my travel bag weighed, like, a 1,000 pounds. But because um, <laughs> I've got gear in there, which, of course, I never actually taped anything. But um, I've got now to where I'm pretty – like, I run into people a fair amount and just – I mean, obviously, the True Colors thing – don't think I wasn't hitting up for some celebs to be on my podcast. Matter of fact, Malik Yoba from Designated Survivor and Empire, yeah, is going to do it. See, so um, I mean, I can't get Barry Manilow or anything, but um, you know, I could maybe score some some folks. You're, a, I got you. You're a big celebrity. Yeah, the beauty of it is, like you said, you could do it anytime, any place. Yeah, super awesome. So what? So tell me now. I don't even actually know. So what? Tell me now. You've you're y'all are doing that, and pretty soon. Well, you've had. The, have you been doing this media company for a while? Three years. Can you believe it? Um, and it's you and Lisa Rayner and Kimberly Kennedy, and it's basically a uh, PR media training consulting, crisis media. Actually, what we do, not on this big scale, but you know the United situation sure. where the guy was, yes. I got so many calls saying, okay, what would you do as a PR agency? Like I would just, you know, <laughs> well, that's just your biggest nightmare. But we have uh, a couple of companies that we've been working with. Of course, we can't tell you of all course. about it because, yeah, we... We have to make things go away, but it's been interesting and it's, it's great because with Kimberly, especially she knows exactly what a reporter is going to say to somebody she can. So she's got that covered. And uh, Lisa has done a lot of PR. So she's experienced in that vein and she knows how to write. If somebody says, okay, now um, if People start calling our business. What should the receptionist say to deal with something that's been in the news? How do we handle that so we can write that? And I'm kind of the utility person that kind of can do a little bit of everything. So it's it's different. Um, it's challenging. And it's it's fun, too. And the best part is I get to sleep in. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I love those, too. I love you, too. I mean, you know, you know, obviously, KK, I mean, Holly knows KK really well from the CNN days. And then, um, you know, Lisa's awesome. And uh, Taco Cowboy. Mm-hmm. Um, Have you been there? Yes. Oh, my gosh. It is yummy. So. I know. The name is so deceiving. I mean, I had the best snapper of my life there. Yeah, super great. So if you go to Taco Cowboy in Virginia Highlands, it is not just tacos. It is great, fabulous food. Yeah, so that's Lisa. So Lisa's husband is Tom, Tom Catherell. Correct. And Tom Catherell owns Taco Cowboy. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, they're super great. And But you're right. I mean, and that's such a needed skill because I will say with the United thing, I mean, I think their CEO just got a big old fat F for how he responded because I do too. he, you know, at first he just came out 
sort of supporting his people when it looked really bad, which I'm not saying you're against supporting his people, but it was almost indignant. And then he backtracked and then he issued another. So he issued three statements in like 36 hours. So that's not good. Right. Like, first of he all, needs to take ownership of the whole thing. Like it's his responsibility, like being Bobby Cox, who's going to take responsibility for his team when they lose. He should have just said, this is a horrible thing that happened on my watch. It's unforgivable. And I will do whatever it takes to make this go away or never happen again. And aren't you just dying to know how much they paid that guy? Yeah, if I had to guess, I bet it was like, what, a million five, probably? A million, million. I bet it was oh, a million at least. I bet it's a lot more than that. It could be. I mean. I bet. I'd say it's several million, but if he opens his mouth before a certain time, he'll lose it. Mm. Like, he'll get it in increments. And if he goes on any new show or then the money's gone, I bet he had to sign that piece of paper that would say, okay, we will pay you, but you cannot say anything disparaging about the company ever. Yeah, that's probably likely. I mean, but it's funny, though, what you guys are doing, because I, I mean, I think it's always been important. I think even Holly, I don't know if you ever asked Holly about this, but I think there have been a couple of times where, again, I can't say with whom, but um, she has done some gigs where she basically went and talked to the CEO of a company and they basically put her in a room and said, we're going to give you a fictional disaster. And you're just going to grill him like he was in a press conference to try to get him or her used to answering questions in that circumstance. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been around like the press conference thing has been around forever and ever. And I think that most CEOs are probably not super media savvy. Right. So that's uh, important. But for me, what, why I think you, what you guys are doing is amazing is that now it's like, there's just so many outlets with social media and the internet. It's like, the ripples are so much stronger and wider. Like if you misstep, it's going to get put everywhere. <laughs> it's not like you're just going to see their statement on the six o'clock evening news. Right. I mean, it's going to be in your face It'll be way before that, <laughs> but I mean, but it's going to be in your face all the time. You know what I mean? Like the United thing, like when that guy's statement came out, I saw it retweeted a hundred times by people with blue checks on Twitter you know what I mean? Saying this was a dumbass statement to make. And, you know, and then people playing the video over and over again. And it, it's just like, it's a lot more dangerous environment now for those type of situations, right? Like crisis control, because you cannot control the message. I mean, or you can, you can try to control the message, but you can't control the dissemination of the message, right? Because everyone's right. got a platform, everyone. Yeah, and we had somebody who was crying hysterically. They were actually in the right, but they were crying hysterically. And we're like, you can't, if you, if, if they would have gone on the air like that, they looked guilty because why would you be hysterical if right. you were innocent? And they, she just was, she was being accused of something that wasn't true. And so it took us three days just to, get her calm to get ready to go and be interviewed and say what she needed to say. And she was perfect. But if somebody would have thrown a camera in her face and said, well, did you do this? And she wouldn't have been able to answer people to say, see, she's guilty. She's guilty. So you're right. That first impression, especially on video, you got to just, and I think we got to tell our kids, everybody that we're all, on there's a spotlight on us all the time 
you can't do stupid things anymore on Snapchat, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on anything because it's there forever. Somebody's got it. Somebody's. I'm just. Aren't you glad that we didn't have this oh when we were my kids? Oh God, I would probably be in jail. Um, <laughs> seriously, like I don't. You know, I mean, and that's the thing. It's you know, young people are dumb anyway. Um, but it's yeah, like it's just it's crazy. I also personally believe that. <clears throat> that people are missing out on experiencing life, you know, and, and I think that there's a general, you know, um, I think it was, who was I talking to the other night? Um, it might've been Malik Yoba or was it my wife? I can't remember, but anyways, um, they were talking about where they were somewhere and someone, uh, fell like they were, they were out on the beach or something and someone was riding a bike and they sort of fell off of their bike and they were not responding, right? Like they were just laying there and they looked up and no one came to aid. They just all had their phones out. Like That's so sad. No, no one actually came over to try to see if they were dead or needed medical help or whatever. They were just trying to get, you know, 30 seconds of video and it's just, I, I mean, I feel like, and I'm a, I work in technology, right? That's my day job. I love it. I think it's allowed us and will continue to allow us to do amazing things. But unfortunately, I feel like it's causing us to lose our humanity a little bit. Um, in circumstances like that, where there's not just general care for another human being, but also this internet tough guy phenomenon, you know, where people will say anything because they're mm-hmm. shielded by a keyboard and a, a handle, a username, a Twitter name, whatever. Um, my papa, who was a wise man, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, said to me when I was 10 years old, which was long before there was ever an internet, um, in his awesome Southern drawl, uh, it's amazing what people will say when you remove the threat of getting punched in the mouth. <laughs> So true. Wise man. And, you know, and that's the thing that, that, you know, especially for kids, like we are kind of who we are as adults, I think a lot of us, but, um, you know, I just don't understand this, this, this thing of, of just being awful to people. I mean, it's just so against my DNA, you know what I mean? Especially to strangers. Like, I don't like, I don't know. I'm not a new age kind of person or I'm not into any mystical shit or like any of that stuff. But as I get older, I'm, I've, I'm leaning more and more towards this idea that negative energy bleeds, right? It bleeds out and it can get on you like, um, like a spider web. Like if you walk through a spider web, and, mm-hmm. and you can't get it off. It, and it takes a while to get it off. And I just don't like to be around that. I mean, I, I just, you know, it's just, I just can't. And, and, and conversely, I'm trying to be better about putting out positive energy all the time. Because it's healthier for me, right? It makes me enjoy the day better. So I don't understand. Right. It. I remember once we had, to, we had these brochures that were sent out in the mail. Yeah, snail mail during radio. Well done. And it was, uh, do you like the show? Do you like Steve? Do you like Vicky? A bunch of things. And some guy wrote, 
awful things about me. And they made us read them all and um, actually made me contact the guy, which I was mortified. So I did. And he was like, who is this? And, and I called him on the phone. And I said, well, you filled out this this um, survey and, and I'm reading it back to him. And he said, oh, my God, I am so embarrassed. He said, I, let me tell you, one, I don't really listen to the radio all that much. But two, I was in a bad mood and I just was looking down at something and I needed a, an outlet of sorts. And I just started scribbling horrendous things about you. And I don't even know you. And I, first of all, he couldn't even believe that I'm calling him, but it made me feel better. But I think that's how we all are today. It's, It's, we feel that there's this gigantic shield that we can say anything on social media and there's no consequences, but there are sometimes. And it's, it's hurtful to a lot of people. And instead of just, I mean, how many times have you ever written a letter because you had great service? I find a lot of times I've had great service and I think to myself, I really need to write a letter and I don't, but sure as hell, if we have a bad experience, we are letting somebody know. Don't you think? Yeah. That's what we all do. Yeah. No, look, it's funny that you mentioned that because this is actually, and I was reading a book and I'm trying to remember the book and it was about so I work in client services and technology, right? So that's what I manage these big t- accounts, right? And um, that's kind of my universe, right? This idea of, of I think about service all the time because I do that. You know, my job is to keep my clients happy and to do strategy for them and that kind of stuff and make sure they're getting what they want. So when I go to even a store, right, or anything, like I think about that experience because it's not the same, but sort of. And talking about that kind of feedback and you know what? Starting about a year and a half ago, I do this now religiously. If I go anywhere and I have a good service experience, I ask for the email address of the manager of the person that served me, and I write an, and I go home and I write an email to that person, <clears throat> telling them about my good service experience with the person that gave me the service. I do it. Good. Re- I do it religiously, and I think more people should do it because I do too. they do. And it's, uh, it's hilarious that you mentioned that because I, that's something that I actually thought about a long time ago. Um, and it's, and you know, again, it goes back to this overarching thing too, about this idea of everyone's a human being. Th- this is the root of my liberalism. Like people always want to know why I'm liberal, right? Make pretty good money. Wife makes pretty good money. I grew up in the South. Um, all the things that if you sort of line me up with stereotypical sort of conservative-ish things, grew up in the Baptist church, you know, everything says I should be super conservative. Um, but the reason I'm not, and and not to suggest that conservatives don't care about anybody, but it's just my overarching thing that people are people. And everyone should be afforded equality on a few different, certain levels, you know, in the eyes of the law. Um, how they're treated as human beings, like they should, you know, you shouldn't treat anyone differently for a reason like race or gender or religion or, you know, and it's hard because I think biology tells us to try, you know, biology to a degree tells us that you, you tend to group together with, by, based on similarity. That's a survival instinct, 
right? So, so you're more comfortable around same, less comfortable around different. That's biology to a degree. But it's just, it's weird. I mean, that's why the, and that's this thing is as people, and I try to keep this thought is just like, these are human beings that get up and pay mortgages and have parents they love and kids they love and don't want bad things to happen. It's There's so many universal things that everyone, rich, poor, black, white, you know, conservative, liberal, they all are, you know, are literally just trying to grind out their life just like everybody else is. And I just have a hard time with, you know, this idea of like putting people into buckets and then trying to, you know, make some George McCall based on the bucket. We were in the Dominican, when we were in the Dominican Republic that same trip, um, we bought these Bali beds, you know, they put down on the beach. They're like those covered beds, you know, so you can get out of the sun. And yeah, we're at this all-inclusive resort and we had a server, you know, a woman that was our server for, and she was with us the whole week. Cause we had this bed every day from like 7am until 7pm. And, and the service came with the renting of the bed so, of course, you know Holly Furfer. Holly Furfer's chatting her up. You know what I mean? We're getting to know her, you know, just whatever. And Holly, like, doesn't even, like, service people serving her. You know, she's, like, trying to help the lady carry stuff around. She's just not <laughs> – she's just not overly comfortable with that. So I get to talking to her. Do you know what the minimum wage is in the Dominican Republic? Two cents an hour. It's, I don't know. <laughs> it's, 20, it's 24 cents an hour. Wow. A, a quarter an hour. And – She's out there and she's like, yeah, she goes up, you know, we make about $200 a month. A month. And I'm like, well, what does it cost to live? And she's like, well, you know, she's like an okay, like two bedroom, one bath apartment is like a hundred, $110 a month. So that's out. So that's, so your hundreds out the door, you got a hundred left over. And she's like, and I'm like, but food and stuff. And she goes, yeah, but you know, we don't really have like TV like Americans and all that stuff has. And then um, we don't go to grocery stores. Rich people do that. Like we grow food and then we barter with the food we have with the stuff we don't grow. And we'll like buy meats, you know, and proteins or whatever. And, you know, that's just kind of how we live. And it just was like. I don't know, like, just think of things in the context of the world, right? Like how, I mean, we've got, America is, I love America, but I don't know if people take stock in just how damn good it is, right? Like just how good we got it. I mean, our, our, our homeless people, some of them are fat. Think about that for a second. (laughs) I mean, that's a, go to San Antonio, Texas. There's fat homeless people all over the place. Um, and again, I'm glad, I mean, and people do go hungry, but I mean, I'm glad, you know, it's good, right? That's how good it is here, right? That even homeless people can scratch up something to eat. And you got right. this woman walking out fully clothed on a beach, bringing Whitey, me, um, you know, rum punches, right? In the 90 degree weather for 24 cents an hour. And with a, and she couldn't have been happier. Like she just was like, this, it's such a good job here. The resort is so great. They treat us. We get to meet people like you. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you know, you know, people like this that just don't bitch about anything. And she's out there on a smile on her face, seriously, like serving me drinks for 24 cents an hour. That's just such an aligning thought. I mean, I think about her a lot now that we've gotten back. It really is a centering. Like when I feel like I get left of center stuff or get bitchy or want to complain about something, I try to think about her. Sean Arnold for president. No, 
I would not want that job for all the tea in China. <laughs> well, look, I've taken up so for all much the of drinks your, on the on the beach. Yeah, exactly. I've taken up so much of your time. I'm so thankful that you did this. Um, it's awesome. Life. This is one of the things that's also great about this podcast is that, um, and just my life circumstance because I was a huge fan of yours before I ever knew who you were. Um, I I just I think you're just lovely. And then when I got to know you, I found out that that was actually true. And um, I'm just I'm 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 glad we had a chance to talk because I I was a fan when I didn't know you, and I'm a bigger fan now that I do know you. And um, you're so sweet. And it, I'm really I'm glad you uh, did this. So now I'm just going to abuse our relationship. I'm going to use your name to try to get as much exposure for my podcast <laughs> as possible. And I also love your husband, even though he's from the South Side of Chicago and he's super annoying. So. Um, <laughs> So we're going to the punchline or something. We're going to we do are. something together where we can all laugh and and be happy. No, I'm. I just heard the garage. I just heard the garage hit. So my wife's home from the American Cancer Society fundraiser. So I'm going to go down. Okay. She's the social chair. So I'm going to go downstairs and tell her that because she's responsible for scheduling social things. So uh, we're going to get the podcast on okay. the uh, on the bill. So look, um, all every, right. Everybody, make sure um, uh, to what's y'all's website for the firm. Is it lkrmedia.com? It's lrk-media.com. lrk-media.com. And then, do you twit? Do you Twitter? Is that a platform yeah, for you? What's, it, your, what's your Twitter? Vicky, uh, V-I-K-K-I underscore L-O-C-K-E. Go check her out. You probably already know where to find her, because like I said, legendary. Um, oh, th- yeah. Thanks so much Checks for being in the here. mail. Yep, and we will, uh, we will talk again soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Okay. This is Sean Arnold. Too much information with Sean Arnold. I'm at SeanATL on Twitter. Um, again, this was Episode 10 with Vicki Locke, and I will look forward to talking to you guys soon. Until next time, press on.